Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Go or you like drive around and go up into this residential part on the way to Malibu and Pacific Palisades. And these are all like $4 million plus homes. And as soon as you turn right, it's like an entire encampment of home. It looks like that movie District 9. And so, you know, h- how on earth could you look at that and go, this is fine. This is great. Like, keep them in. Yeah, when I first moved to L.A., I went to Santa Monica because that was, like, the nicest place. You hear about it all the time. I mean, my freaking shirt says David Bowie, Santa Monica. It just sounds so great. But I had to leave because it's like you're paying $2,000 a month to live where sometimes you can't even get into your own door because there is a real homeless person, not a Gavin Newsom homeless person the you know narrative driven uh mom of two kids who lost her husband and you know is couch surfing and trying to find a job no the yeah, mentally ill that. homeless person yeah, yeah. <laughs> the yeah, the I real they, homeless i yeah. love when they pre- pretend that these are like displaced immigrants or people who are down on their luck that's like that's funny because uh that's not what i'm seeing i'm seeing a meth head jerking off in the middle of the street that's what i'm seeing like oh, I, yeah. I was driving back back before the pandemic I was still driving uh, like Uber and Lyft, and uh, I had a I had a BMW SUV at the time, and uh, it was like seven in the morning. I had driven overnight. It was like seven in the morning, and I was downtown, and I had just dropped somebody off at work, and I was like, I'm gonna head home. I'm only seven miles from home in Burbank, and I called my dad, and I was like, he he he's probably up. He lives on the East Coast, and I call him, and I'm I'm just catching up, and I'm stopped on Hill Street, like downtown by the courthouse getting ready to get back on the 110 and go to Burbank. And I'm at a, a traffic light. And you ever know how, like, sometimes when you're on the phone in the car, you're seeing what's going on around you, but you're kind of zoned out. Yeah. and It's the best uh, way to be in L.A. sometimes. Yes. Yeah, so you're kind of, like, <laughs> looking through the people. And people are crossing. And all of a sudden, this guy stops in, the, in front of me. And he's wearing a trench coat. Mexican dude, probably, like, 20, 27 to 35. And, and all of a sudden, the trench coat opens. The man is fully nude. He drops his clothes and literally starts pounding on the hood of my car naked at 7 a.m. on Hill Street. So imagine every romantic comedy you've ever seen set in New York. And imagine that number of people walking through Times Square. That's Hill Street downtown at 7 in the morning. People are going to the courthouse, lawyers, people with cases, people with traffic things, people with custody battles. This is a the most busy, congested part of downtown L.A. at the most busy, congested time. And I have a naked drug addict pounding on the hood of my car and, and moonwalking in the crosswalk um, while the light is red. And strangely enough, the man this is obviously his fucking morning routine because by the time the light had turned, his all his clothes were back on and he was out of the way. And I was able to just proceed with my day. But I was. Yeah, like, maybe he just has OCD and has to do that, or his mother will die. Right. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, if I could wish on anyone's mother mm-hmm. to die uh, back in time before they were born, it was this guy. But it was just like, I was like, is anybody seeing this shit? Like, this. this and you this is really get I... desensitized to it Listen, when this, you see yeah, it every day. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's just a Tuesday. You know, and I really yeah. was. I was just like, my dad's like, what, what is that noise? I go, that's fucking. 
homeless meth head pounding on the hood of my car while he's shaking his dick in my face and you know he's like oh god my dad was like i would have drove through that if that happened to me. i would literally just run that man over and leave and i go yeah well you know it's los angeles it's, we're used to it yeah like, like because i remember getting a ticket as i'm you know newly in los angeles driving through west hollywood i'm at a stoplight and that, so of course i'm checking my phone you know learning how long it's going to take to get back to santa monica and of course i get stopped by a cop but while he's giving me a ticket for being on my phone at a red light there is a homeless man taking a dump in front of a whole foods with kids and mothers all, you know, going in and out at the grocery store. But, but God forbid I looked at my phone at a red light. <laughs> yeah. The, you know, this is where this will be controversial, but this is where <laughs> I agree with China and Japan. Like if it, it, they don't have homeless people in Japan, I don't know if you've ever watched a documentary in Japan. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, yeah, I like right. Japan. <laughs> if you can't survive, you don't get to live on the street. You go to prison or you can, hang, you can just, <laughs> They buy you a bus ticket to the suicide forest, my friend. Um, and that, and it's weird because... That would be a cool movie, bus ticket to the suicide forest. Yeah, or definitely well, like already, an ACDC song. Well, they already made it. Logan Paul directed yeah. it and it almost <laughs> ended his career. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but now he makes more money boxing than most people in boxing. Listen, that kid will yeah. make more money than most people doing whatever the... If he decided he was going to start doing gay porn, it would be the most profitable gay porn in the history oh, yeah. of business. I mean, there are some people that just have developed and amassed what the kind of following that they have where they can do anything and they'll make a ton of money at it. So, you know, I, I don't have any ill will towards those guys. I just, you know, they I think can... they figured it out. Like, yeah. I, I'm in the same boat. It's like, I'm almost impressed. Like, yeah, I mean, I mean listen, there are a lot of shittier people making money in filthier ways. So, oh, yeah. Um, they pretend they're anybody. good. The Paul boys don't pretend like they're goodies. No, and and mm. you know there there's nothing. Uh, yeah, I mean you know, uh, what's what's worse by the way, Bill Gates or Logan Paul or Jake Paul? I mean, <laughs> I mean Bill Gates uh, molests children, so I, as far as I know, the Paul boys don't. <laughs> right. Well, and even if and even if he didn't molest children, <laughs> you can still look at everything else he's done in the name of charity and science. And still be like, hmm, some of that seems pretty fucking horrible. Mm -hmm. Like trialing vaccines overseas that kill a lot of people, like and and different intravenous drug treatments and stuff. Like that, he's definitely got this weird. I, I, where did this Bill Gates come from? You know, and this is the kind of cautionary tale that I think people have to realize is like Bill Gates was like the nerdy computer guy when we were kids growing up, and now he's like. We have to worry about overpopulation and the like. He's literally become Ozymandias from fucking uh, the yes Watchmen. from Watchmen. Yeah. Yes, and it's like, dude, what what are we doing? Like this guy. It's guy's funny. I made that comparison like, before. I was like, it's, it's like, like yeah, Ozymandias. Like, no, no, like, no, no yeah. I have to let the giant squid in to kill everybody so that we can unite. It's like he is. He, that is totally who Bill Gates has become. And yeah, I mean, that just tells you. You know, I, I, I'm I'm absolutely about capitalism and competition and but there are some people where at some point when you start to see what they do with the money, you gotta be like, Yeah, we gotta kill this motherfucker. Like we gotta get rid of this guy. This guy's a problem for, for the planet.
Yeah, look, he's just a giant starfish, and we've got to get rid of him, okay? If we just yeah. put a nice little spin on it, I mean, but talk about someone who's cancel-proof, because how many times is, like, just the Epstein stuff come up recently, and it's just, like, a little bit of news here. I mean, but news isn't really news anymore. It's really hard to find trusted sources. Yeah, I don't know if you saw what I posted yesterday, but I'm, I'm, we're going back and watching um, Difficult People on Hulu, which is a funny Ooh. show. I've um, not watched that yet. Oh, well, it's yeah, it looks with, good. It's mm. loaded with all kinds of uh, pop culture references and shitting on celebrities, so I think you would dig it. But um, Billy Eichner is the main star, and in the show, he uses a, uh, like a pseudoname. You know, he's not Billy Eichner. He's Billy Epstein. And I was <laughs> like, ooh, ooh, that didn't age well. Like That choice of alternate last name didn't change well. It would be like my my first name was Jeffrey, and I was like, I don't want to go by Jeffrey Denny. What about Jeffrey Dahmer? How's that? <laughs> I would like it, but you know, yeah. I'm 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 a Dahmer fan girl myself. But <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're 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 tired of all the Ted Bundy docs. You're like, when are we gonna get the Dahmer docs about how fuckable he was? Exactly, because you know, at least he is far more interesting than Bundy. Like, I really love this discussion, by the way, because it's like Bundy is what I love to call because it's the worst thing you can ever call him a textbook narcissist. Because it's yeah. like, okay, yeah, he hates his mom. He, you know, he hated his girlfriend. He killed people. Boring. Dahmer had a brain defect, been totally understood. Everything was wrong and he had lovely parents. That's why he's far more interesting. Yeah. And when Jeffrey Dahmer eats pussy, he finishes it. So that's fun too. <laughs> Just like army hammer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another lovely yet. Yeah. Boy, that guy, that guy started fucking guys in a movie a few years ago and that and never looked back. He's like, now I need crazier, weirder shit to come. But, you know, it always comes to that. It's like you just got to keep keep going at it and, and really breaking that mold. That's why I'm glad I never really experimented with any wild shit. Like, I had girlfriends that were into wild shit over the years. And I'm like, dude, I'm glad that I've always stayed pretty meat and potatoes in the bedroom. Because I would hate to be one of those guys who who literally pushed the throttle past the point of no return. And now you're just like, I can't even get hard unless somebody's bleeding or choking to death. You know, like Trevor Bauer. <laughs> but, allegedly, but yeah. allegedly, allegedly, Trevor Bauer. Yeah. Hey, you know, it, it is what it is. People have their proclivities, and as long as it's between consenting adults, who cares? But I believe it was Chris Rise the bit about women can't go back in lifestyle and men can't go back in sex. It's just so true. Oh, very much yeah. so. Yeah, rich girl could never go back to being poor. That's what prostitution is from. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I, you know, like, and so sad to see OnlyFans uh, going out for a lot of these uh, alleged prostitutes. I don't know what is allegedly about it anymore and why some people still, you know, I, I love the more tame version sex work. It's like, it's still prostitution. There's a lot of things that are still prostitution. The sugar baby sites. I mean, OnlyFans wasn't new. <laughs> like, Yeah, that's very true. I, I actually think... Uh, I'll, I'll diverge from that a little bit. I, I do think OnlyFans is the lesser of those evils, and I talked with this about with uh, Ava Lovia, a.k.a. Candace Horvath, on my um, podcast that just came out yesterday. But um, I, um, I mentioned to her, you know, the worst part of the OnlyFans thing is that now there are a lot of these sort of like 
19, 20 year old chicks who dropped out of college or their college shut down during the pandemic. They started making this money on OnlyFans. And now it's like, well, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube because you can't necessarily go work at like Starbucks when your pussy's all over the internet because people will, if you're good looking enough to do that and make money at it, then you're good looking enough for everyone at your work to Google you uh, the second you start working. Because that's there. exactly what people do, by the way. Yeah, it, we gonna, all do it. Yeah, like, and then they're going to, they'll find your stuff, right? Oh, and yeah. The, and then now. Uh, you know, you have to work with people that have seen you naked. It's a problem. So basically what I'm saying is these girls who are going to get based kind of like thrown off OnlyFans, um, they're, they're not they're not really going to have an alternative than to calling some shitty fucking porn agent and starting to work in, um, you know, traditional adult films where they'll get exploited, uh, abused, you know, all of these other things. And so, you know, I said the worst part of this OnlyFans thing is all of these seedy fucking porn agents who take like 50% of girls' money are sitting back like, yes, <laughs> now you need me again. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah, uh, that that part is the, the sad, shitty the Unintended part. consequences. and yes. But that is the thing is, like, unfortunately, a lot of people did make – bank on OnlyFans, but that's sort of part of the problem. And it sort of created this pyramid scheme that wound up being similar to pimping porn agents like every other way, because that's they can go no other way. If there is a way to make money, there are people that will exploit it. And especially when it comes to young women and, you know, so many of them, I understand the appeal. And I guess I was lucky to have a dad who was a strip club DJ and so nice. it would have just been really awkward if I ever became a stripper because I'd see my dad at work all the time. Yeah. But <laughs> And you would just hear his voice in your ear, come on the stage. And you're just like, mm -hmm. oh, no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's just a bit much. So, so I guess uh, that's one benefit to having that, that I never was interested in the sex work part and kind of always understood all of the unintended consequences or you know, and some would say a little bit more obvious because sadly, the OnlyFans may have protected people for some degree for not really understanding the creep behind the curtain as you would at more in the other environments. But at the same time, it still has a lot of the same real life consequences when you feel that. That's why so many of them are, are drug addicts and continue to have to support the habit. And sometimes, guys, yeah. drug addicts can be prescribed the medication as well. Um, and it's the, the numbing thing. of the pain. Yeah, yeah worst thing. And that's what I have a lot of friends that it's they are on so many benzodiazepines because they can't live with themselves and the stuff they've done. Like not just like, you know, only fans, but a lot of it is just the way that people have chosen to live their lives. And and it's unfortunate because they still don't. I had one friend that was, you know, understanding of this consequence and sort of explained it to me, which is why I'm you know able to articulate it. Plus, you know, the whole degree in psychology thing. It, but it, it is sad. And that's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is all the mental health. Cause I really liked some of your tweets. Yeah. Uh, that's, you mentioned that to me about basically <sighs> that, uh, I was trying to pull it up here. So I had it as a reference while we're talking, but, uh, oh, yeah, and I've got it here. If we oh, need there it. you go. Cool. You're already ahead of me. Yeah. So, um, producing yeah. man, yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> I, I don't have one. That's for sure. Well. That's the, the most troublesome part of podcasting. Right. 
But um, yeah, I mean, I am my own producer. I'm just—it's <laughs> like it's just me, but with a mustache. <laughs> yeah, we all sort of have to be, right? That's, that's yeah. It's so it's so funny. Like I see these people start podcast and they're just like our producer over here jimmy and i'm like motherfucker this is episode five yeah like, why do you have you a producer the, where you, yeah where the, where's the budget coming in from this stuff and then you know in a few instances you realize like oh these are all like open mic comedians that you know work or live in the same city and kind of are teaming up which is cool uh i i hate people it's nice to have open, friends yeah. i hate people <laughs> at open mics i wouldn't want any of them in my apartment helping me produce my podcast <laughs> oh yeah i mean that's one of the saddest things about la comedy is the open mic scene and you know some of us have tried to do more private mics to to kind of weed out the crazies but hell i even had a guy stalk me at a uh, private open mic it's like wow how'd you get this address like yeah and and like i don't know what it, i've been to open mics around the country like you know back when i had a day job i would travel around the country and um for for work and then i would try to hit open mics in different cities um as i traveled and you know for the most part the the weirdest open micer you'd get in other cities is like um that older guy, you know, like the 50, yeah. 60 year old open micer who, wor you know, works in an office or whatever. And he's had the same 10 minutes and he goes and does his 10 minutes at every open mic around town on his. And that's his that's his evening. Right. Um, and so I found the tweets. Now we're good. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So like but in L.A., you have all kinds of flavors of open micer, like failed actor, failed actress, failed musician, uh, a lot raging, of failures, <laughs> raging narcissist, any other capacity, you know, guys who think they're fucking models, uh, guys who think they're, you know, it's just, it's amazing. The, the level of fucking delusion that exists, um, in oh, the yes. LA open mic scene is beyond me. And it's like not a single person who really is good at comedy and cares about comedy like uh they're they're literally just people that are trying to it's like fame is closing the subway door and they're the guy running in at the last minute jamming their arms in trying to squeeze <laughs> it i mean it's like that is the la open mic scene there's nothing productive or fun about it like uh, you know and i was i was telling my buddy uh carl who's my neighbor about this who's also a comic and um I was like, dude, I'm done chasing spots around the city. It's like, what is the purpose of that? Like, I get more yeah. rep, I get more reps in writing the show that I do for Censored TV now, and and filming it and producing it and everything else. It's basically like writing 30 new minutes of material a week, and having to tighten it and sharpen it in a couple of days, and then performing it and filming it and editing it. And it's like, by the time I'm done doing a show, if there's a bit in that show that I want to go do in my stand-up act, it's ready. You know what I mean? So it's like for me to go out and, you know, I don't do comedy because I need people to um, watch me and pay attention to me. Like, I don't give a fuck about that. I, I, and so the idea that, like, I would get something um, out of going to some fucking laundromat and having 30 <laughs> other losers from my city who think they do what I do look at me while I do it 
It's like, it's like, it would be like, oh, I, I, I like jerking off, but I need, I need an audience. It's like, no, I don't. <laughs> well, I mean, Louis C.K. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. But it, yeah, that's, what's kind of funny. Yeah. So many comics are like, oh, disgusting. Why would you need people to watch you do that? It's like, you need people to watch you share your thoughts seven times a week. Like I, I want to make the same really bad thoughts too, guys. It's, I, it, it's sad. I want to, I want to make fun stuff and, and then I want to present it. I don't need to fucking go up and just throw it up in front of any group of people who could give a fuck less, whether or not I'm it's there. Work smart, not hard. And, yeah. and I know a, there's a, there's very few people that I know that were chronic open micers. And I would say the last five years when I've been, doing stand-up and seeing it in LA, but it, it never ceased me to amaze me how they, they really didn't understand that they were burning themselves out and whether they were, you know, getting somewhere or not, it, it was hard to tell because it's like, okay, like, you know, the only ones of us going or your friends who support you and it kind of works stuff out. And, and they really push this idea in a lot of stand-up classes, except, you know, I think Gary Katzman, one of his, like, I listened to him on a podcast and was like, oh, okay, he's not one of those because that's not really effective anymore. Because again, it, everything saturates and including podcasts now, but it never ceased to amaze me how these open micers, they would go and do the same set over and over again, every right. night of the week, paying five bucks. But then to get a guest, get them to be a guest on a podcast, it was like, well, what? Like, and it's like, Everybody at that open mic is a comic. There's no audience for no, the most there's not part. There's a single real consumer yeah. of comedy there. So but a thousand downloads, that's an audience. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, would you like to go to a trade show that only has other competitors of yours there showing off their stuff? And you're like, oh, there's not a single um, buyer. There's not yeah. a single possible buyer customer or buyer yeah. in the room. And they go, no, yeah, yeah, but it's a $2,000 booth fee. <laughs> and you're like, sign me up. Like, that's what an open mic is. And so it's like, you know, I loved open mics. And I, I want to go back and say this. When I started in Minneapolis, the open mic scene there was fucking incredible. And the comics all loved comedy. And they did it. And, and by the way, you could perform for each other because everybody was, was trying. Yeah. Everybody was basically trying to develop their hour for the road. The best you can kind of hope for out there is becoming a road guy and working for uh, Joel Pace or, or John Yoder, a funny business or some of these other kind of small club bookers. I think like the fucking Super Bowl is working for Stroop and at the funny bones. Um, and so uh, if, if, and then maybe if you get really good as one of those guys, you're a guy who like headlines the weeknights and then middles for a big act when they come in on the weekends. So all of these guys were just trying to sharpen their fucking saws to go out and make a living doing comedy and everyone loved comedy and so like they were like workshops you'd go up you'd do your material you'd come off and then two of your two guys that you're not even really friends with that are other comedians in the scene would be like hey man what about if you move this here if you move that there like and and we were really trying to develop our acts and really trying to get better and that doesn't exist in los angeles at all it's like you said people show up and they do the same act they've been doing for 10 years it's like you should be bombing at every single open mic because you should be taking up shit that has you're absolutely not ready and is absolutely not developed and is is just raw as fuck. And if you're not bombing at open mics, there's no point in going because you're take if you're taking up shit that's proven. What are you pro what are you proving? Yeah, you're, you're trying to prove to the other losers that you're less of a loser. I mean, it makes no sense.
I think comedy has evolved past that point, right? And quite frankly, if you're not a good enough performer and good enough at memorization and confident enough in your own skin to where you need to go up 17 times a week to get it down, you're not a comedian. Get the fuck off the stage altogether. Because it's like one of the things that drives me nuts, I just watched that show, The Wedding Coach, with Jamie, uh, Jamie Lee, the comedian. And it's like these couples getting married. And nothing drives me worse than watching two people that are literally about to spend the rest of their lives together reading their vows off a sheet of paper. Um, yeah, it's like if you should person, have that shit memorized. Okay, if this person yeah. matters that much to yeah. you, how about you fucking rehearse it and you have it memorized so you can look them in the, the eye while you're book. telling them you love them? Yeah. And I'm like, if you can't memorize your fucking vows, maybe don't get married. And that's how I feel. Like, if you can't memorize your act, memorize your material, or at least have an idea of where you want to take it and and then go do it and tighten it up. And if it's a longer bit, like if you're doing a five minute bit, I get it. That needs to be worked out. But it's like, then, then that's it. Then you're basically going out and you're learning your lines and developing your shit. But you should be doing that in different places around different people with the sole purpose of getting it right and getting it better. Not fucking insulating yourself from criticism and being seen by anybody who matters. You know, it's amazing how you can look at all those shitty open mics. And for some reason, the good comics are never at them. Isn't that funny? Isn't it funny that even somebody like a Jeremiah Watkins, who I think is a very funny comic, um, but he's not mega famous. uh, I don't see him at those shitty open mics. I don't see, you know, like I don't see Dean Del Rey at those shitty open mics. I don't see kirk fox at those shitty open mics so it's like you don't even (laughs) see so that's what i'm saying is like you don't even see the the working guys the the unfit the not famous regulars you don't see them at those shows why not because it, it it's it's a pyramid scheme. It really is. Right. It, it, they, you really don't have to pay for the five dollars, the two drinks, the whatever. It's it's nothing. But it is sort of that thing. And this get in a lot of the comedy. I think. I mean, there are good comedy classes. There are good improv classes. But so much of this has been about feeding the ego and kind of bringing it back to you know our overall topic of narcissism. And that's the real epidemic. These people like this to them. Even if they suck, they don't feel like they suck because they feel like they're doing something. The open mic is the equivalent to go with your analogy thing here that I like uh, that's been going on is the equivalent to putting hashtag Black Lives Matter, hashtag, you know, whatever and hashtag COVID-19 or whatever it is like that's their sort of equivalent is like is like it's satiating. Like, so it's sort of like going to community college or anything like that. You feel like you're doing something, but you're not really doing something. It's just to get people off <laughs> yeah, your back. Fuck like, you, anybody who went yeah. to community college. Well, hell, I um, did, but that was because I, you know, dropped out of uh, high school. I just went to community college in your year, but I went on to do other stuff. But, but yeah, a lot yeah. of people do it just to, you know, not work. <laughs> Yeah, and and the whole the whole tweet that kind of kicked it off is I, I started out with this tweet, and I don't know if you want to throw it up on the screen, but I said if you think my take on the vaccine is wacky, let me tell you about how ninety percent of your mental health issues are just clinically diagnosed narcissism, uh, narcissism masked as a disease that can only be treated, never cured, and makes more money for billionaires than war and iPhones combined. You know what I thought was the most funny about this was that people 
were going into the comments and saying like, actually, this is how much money war makes. And I was like, so you're not arguing my point. You're just trying to argue that my numbers were off. Okay. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, I, I look around and the thing that kind of spawned this little thread, Oh, I'll go on to continue. I said, depression is not a disease. It's merely a byproduct of empathy, just like carbon dioxide. Yeah, just is a in case I ever use this. <laughs> so this is one that this is one that I feel a lot, and I have I've had people on that are supposedly clinically diagnosed depression, but I remember yeah, which a- I have been, but even I was like, no, I get where you're going, and I like this. Well, yeah, and, and kind of yeah. my thought is like when people go like, oh, I've I have clinical depression or I have depression. I remember, <clears throat> I remember like talking to my father about depression when I was younger. And being like, ah, man, does like depression run in our family? And he was like, yeah, we're fucking Irish. What do you think? (laughs) And, uh, and I was like, well, has anyone been diagnosed? What is like diagnosed? He's like, depression is a byproduct of a life well lived. He goes, if you don't don't go out in the world and see what the fuck is happening around you and you feel fine about it, you'd have to be fucking crazy. Like the world is a horrible place. People are horrible to each other. The good guys don't always win. If yeah. you're just walking around like sunny days, like you're fucking mentally ill. Mm-hmm. The person who's just reacting to to badness in the world, that's not a disease. That it and and it's like I said um that it's a uh it's a byproduct of empathy, meaning if you have empathy or you care about the things that are happening in the world, then yeah, you're going to feel fucking depressed sometimes. But to me, the perspective is you should look at your depression and go, Oh my God, at least I still feel something for people, or at least I still feel bad. It's like what we talk about with homelessness. Those people should feel immense shame to the point of where they never come out in public. That's how it works in Japan. They don't ever leave that. The most of them kill themselves in shame, and which we should probably be more supportive of in this country is shame-based suicides. But um, <laughs> I know I'm supportive of it. But I'm yeah, a bad it's person. like oh, if that person was too ashamed. <laughs> let them. You know, yeah, the, that's their choice. Let them do what they want to do. But but my point is is we shouldn't be looking at depression as this fucking crutch or this thing that we lean on. It should be a reminder that we're still human, a reminder that we still feel highs and lows. If all you feel are highs, that's not real. That's not being a human being. That's delusional. And that's a whole separate issue. But, but yeah, I mean, the, the biggest problem that we are facing in this world today is severe, unchecked narcissism and especially those of us in the entertainment industry we all have some level of it of course but you know luckily most of us used to tamp it down but the biggest problem today is it's so easy to be validated for those feelings and it's so wrong it's the, well, the digital people, dopamine like yeah, with the, the like 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 yeah, yeah well, the nothing. people that are the people yeah. that are validating those feelings also have those feelings oh yeah you know like and, and I'll tell you this, like, is I, I would argue on the flip side, you say everybody who has uh, or is do, doing what we do has some level of narcissism. I agree with you because it's like just the idea that I think what I say into a microphone is important enough to where somebody would ever want to hear it is some level of narcissism. Right. But I would argue that my biggest uh, the thing that holds me back in my career is a lack of of unabated narcissism. Like 
I I don't Same. have yeah. an unwavering confidence. I don't wake up every day and be like, I'm chosen to do this. I'm chosen to win. I'm destined to succeed. All I have to do is manifest it. I don't think crazy shit like that. I think practically and I go like, okay, like how am I going to build an audience? How am I going to get people to like what I do? How do I get the people that like what I do to be more engaged? How do I like, it's a very binary ones and zeros. Like how do I build this thing brick by brick? And, and I do believe that if I had that unwavering narcissism of like, I'm just great. And if I just put my greatness out into the world, then good things will happen. I would probably be more successful than I am right now. So I, yeah, I think my biggest flaw is not being delusional enough. Yeah. And, and it's so unfortunate that that has been rewarded so much now. If it I say, because my heroes are of course, Adam Carolla and, and Dr. Drew. I grew up and, you know, because when your dad's a strip club DJ, you wish your dad was Adam Carolla. And yeah. you listen and to you, him and Dr. Drew as your gay dad. Yeah. The love line. Yeah. I love yeah. that growing up. And it's just like, you know, Dr. Drew has this narcissism test and I really started giving it to people as a joke, but it really sort of let me into who to hang out with and who not to. And and it's interesting because I have the same score as Adam Carolla, 14. And it's funny because a lot of people feel like, oh, the most famous or the, you know, the most talented people are the most narcissistic. And it's like, no. they're typically all in this, you know, under 20 range. But when you're over 25 to, I believe the scale goes to 40, those are your seriously delusional people. And yes, some of those people are your YouTube, you know, stars. And again, this, you know, if the video goes anywhere, it'll be on there. I mean, it's not to say that there's bad content on there and everybody on there is even that. It's just there's so many people that I know from... Uh, you know, it was basically a glorified open mic worked at After Buzz TV and all the hosts there. But most of them, when I would give them the test, would rank 25 or higher. And because they were the people that just wanted to show up and they wouldn't say anything of value. They wouldn't have any kind of connection to what they were talking about. It's just I'm me and I'm saying it. So everybody must love it. And that's what I don't think people understand. It's one thing to be like, you know, I feel like I should do this because I've done all the research. I have the, you know, all the tools to do it. It's another to be like, I'm me and everyone should just love me. (laughs) Well, and to think that like sadness and being bummed out is some sort of like affliction just is like shows you what an entitled attitude a person would have to have to think that. Like I, if I wake up and I feel shitty on a day, there's a perfectly good explanation for it. Either one, I'm not doing a good enough job of taking care of my mind and body Two, uh, if I'm, I'm unhappy about something, which means I have the power to change it and fix it and, and do something different. Um, or, or B, or sometimes stuff just sucks. Like, yeah, yeah. (laughs) or, or C, um, I, I feel guilt about neglecting someone else that is important to me in my life. Those are really the three causes of sadness. You're either reacting to something that doesn't involve you. You're unhappy about something within yourself, or you're reacting to something that you were involved in that negatively affected another person. Deal with those things, confront those things, and you will begin to work on this, this disease you call clinical depression. Everyone I know that, that leans on the crutch of clinical depression does not take accountability for their own choices, does not take accountability and responsibility for the way their choices affect other people. That is the fucking disease. You're not depressed. You're selfish. 
You, and and you put too much yeah. emphasis on how the world makes you feel and not what you put into the world. Yeah, and it really is flipping that on its head because as I say, I was diagnosed with clinical depression when I was a teenager. But guess what? Most teenage girls would be considered clinically depressed. And, right. and again, I could go into all the the you know specifics of just how horrible the pharmaceutical industry is, but I feel like that's a whole nother episode, but it's all about medicating people, I guess, so they yes, comply. True, and we were all going them. to do 2021 into believing that because that is true. I mean, and they claim to be treating people, but most people, and, and too, I wish I could promote therapy, but so many people I know in therapy, they're not really working on their fucking issues. And yes. it's either the therapist is trying to help them and they're a lost cause or the therapist sees dollar signs and they're just like, look, I'll just indulge this wackadoodle because, and, you know, like you say, depression, anxiety, I see most of all, especially amongst young women, young women. And it's like, you're anxious because you feel guilty for the things that you've done. And yes. that's called being human. You don't need to tamp that down. You just need to not do it again. Cause I had a friend tell me that she's like, I wanted to be on benzos all the time because I felt guilty for my behavior. And it was until I stopped that because I stole a prescription pad <laughs> that I realized, hey, this is my problem. Well, and you know, <clears throat> it's, um, mo I, this is, I can't remember who said this, um, but I'll, most of the people that die in hospitals die from receiving treatment. And so yeah. that, that was like a weird way of somebody saying that that always stuck with me of, um, you know, like, wow, most of the people who die, die from being treated. And um, we have a real epidemic of people wanting to be treated in this country. Nobody's being cured of anything. Nobody's actually being healed of anything. <clears throat> but boy, is there a lot of money <clears throat> in treatment. And therapy is like the biggest one. I mean, therapy, <clears throat> and I want to make like, maybe someday, and maybe this will be in my special, but... I really do feel like I have in me like one of these epic sort of George Carlin pieces about all of this because, um, you know, I, I I view this as the number one affliction that America faces is this this epidemic or pandemic of of narcissism that we are disguising as illness and um, and then tr and then the worst the most pernicious thing is the money being made in treating it. And, and the fact that we're lying to these people and telling them that they're sick to make money. So why would anybody be shocked that those same people would be so blindly pro-vaccine and so blindly let's trust the CDC because they read the DSM-5 and they consider themselves sick and they go, oh, yeah, I have that, I have that, I have that. Yeah, like, it's, it's like a, a checkbox. Like, ooh, me, this, this, this. And it's like, you know, only 5% of the population is actually mentally ill. And that statistic hasn't gone up. Because I'm sorry, personality disorders like narcissism are not considered real mental illness. <laughs> right. Yeah, and the funny thing is 90% is of the people that would yell at you for saying gender dysphoria is a legitimate mental illness they would go, uh, how dare you? That person is just trying to be their true self. I, on the other hand, who think that being upset at any moment is a is an illness, is a disease, <laughs> I'm sick. 
I should be treated. That person's just trying yeah. to live their truth. And it's like, maybe if you live your fucking truth, yeah. you wouldn't need It's pills. all hypocrisy. Like, none of it tracks. And that's just where I'll say, look, I love the bleeding heart liberal that really loves everybody and is all about, you know, good vibes and helping people. But that person is not the people spouting these days as a rule. Like, you know, there's a handful of people, but most of them are the people that it doesn't matter what it is, whatever's the most popular, but oh no, they all in their mind believe that they were the unpopular kids. I mean, they, they create this whole narrative, the narcissism. It's like everybody was against them or they're fighting against the man. Well, you are the man. Like yeah. it's all projection. And that's a big part of narcissism. Yeah. It's like, and this, like, <clears throat> again, like I go back to this idea that like, unless you're achieving utter happiness all the time that you're somehow failing. Um, and, and, and it's funny. I had a friend get mad at me about this, like probably a year ago and she was going through treatment, um, getting clean and sober. And we were having a conversation back and forth through Instagram about, um, happiness. And I said, and she's like, Oh, like, would you feel like you're in a happy place? And I go, never like happiness isn't a destination. Happiness is, uh, you know, is like a road sign you see on the way on the on the trip. And I go there are moments you'll have moments of happiness. But I think I think trying to achieve happiness is a failing effort. Like I don't view happiness that way. And she, and her she was so it, this is what I think is so funny about people when they get clean and sober is like some of them get so on this path of narcissistic entitlement to health that like. They, she thought me having a different perspective or a different worldview on happiness was somehow going to negatively contribute to her sobriety and her perspective of what the world was supposed to be. So she's like, well, if I it's that fragile, a- then, oh, yeah, it was good luck. Yeah. But she's just do? like, I can't, I can't be around negative people. And I go, wait a minute. What about this? How is, is that negative? negative? How is this negative? I'm telling you that the idea that default is to just be blindly happy is insane. And if you're trying to pursue that and accomplish it, you're going to fit. You're going to fail. What you need to understand and what makes you a more appreciative person in life is knowing that you, if you are dedicated to accomplishing things in your life that are hard, there are going to be happy moments on the way to that. And there are going to be down moments on the way to that. That's not being pessimistic. That's being realistic. That's saying like, I'm going to have failures. I'm going to have setbacks. Um, I'm also going to have days that feel great and I'm going to try to enjoy those and share those moments with the people in my life that I care about. But this idea that I'm supposed to wake up and be in a state of happiness every day is, is retarded. And the only people, the only people that do that are people that are retarded and people that are on drugs. So I, I know I'm very jealous of those people because even though, I mean, I created a whole podcast called Mrs. Brightside about looking at the bright side of things that were depressing, but it's because I learned in my studies that cognitive behavioral therapy is really the way to go and way to get people not to call you Daria in school and everything. It's like, no, I may want to look at the bright side, but sometimes Sometimes, guys, it doesn't matter. That may help you get through the day when shit's shitty, but it's like, yeah, when your dad dies and then your dog dies and and you feel like shit, but you're a comedian, so you make jokes about it. Like, like that's just called dealing with it. It's not called I'm happy that these things happen. It's like I have a way of dealing with things by joking about stuff thanks to, you know, a fucked up family, okay? You know? 
Yeah, and I, I have the same thing. But you know what? I would almost challenge that that's – I think that's the best kind of family you could have. I mean, we, oh, I yeah. think we're conditioned to call them fucked up. But it's like the ability to make jokes in the face of tragedy or horror is is literally a byproduct of being around people that have learned how to cope with difficult shit. And that, you know, is sense of humor a coping mechanism? Yeah. And, and is, is it bad to have a coping mechanism? My coping mechanism could be crack. Yeah, it's not. You know I what mean, I mean? Like it, my it coping can be mechanism, pot, but sense of humor is much better. Yeah, no, my, yeah. My coping mechanism no. is, and and listen, I I probably have these these perspectives because I grew. I just lost my brother at forty three. He was forty three to a, a lifelong battle with drug addiction, and uh, he battled quote unquote depression his entire life. And always blamed other people for his circumstances, blamed his parents for not having the perfect life growing up, you know, which is a, a fucking terrible thing to put on your your mom or your dad. And we had different dads. We had, we share a mom, but we had different dads. And, um, you know, I wasn't very sad when he passed away um, immediately because and my mom was kind of like, you know, well, like, help me understand how you're process processing this. And I go, well, I'm mad at him. Because my whole life, I knew he would do this to you. Like, I knew he would die young and, and make you feel this fucking guilt forever. Because in a way, it's like it's like the ultimate fuck you yeah. exit. It's the ultimate Irish goodbye if you want to blame your parents for your life is to die young and make them feel guilty about it for the rest of their lives. And so while I am sad that he never overcame his demons, there is a part of me that will always fucking hate him for making my mother feel that for the rest of her life. And and this is just me being 100% honest. I think it was I think it it was a byproduct of selfishness and I think um and and not that he did it deliberately, but I think, you know, but in a way it's like it's hard to say that he didn't because it's a choice every time your entire life to engage in behavior that's bad for your health and and kill you and you know, but my mother is an addiction counselor and in a lot of ways, like her desire to help people get better and get healthy and fight their addiction is like um, this sort of like overly empathetic approach to the problem. And so by nature, that's like a perfect storm. Her, her nature by default is to give people more credit than they probably deserve in, in their willingness to get better. And so, and, and my whole life, I always felt like his addiction was more of a byproduct of his entitlement to a happier childhood or a happier life or a happier whatever. And it's like, go out and create oh, for that sure. for yourself. Yeah. Go out and create that for yourself. Put the fucking bottle down, get rid of the things in your life that are making you unhappy and do the hard work into living the life that you want to live. And if you don't know what that is, that's fine. But I do think we let people go way too long in their lives. Um, not not figuring that out and then the that problem of them having not figured it out becomes everyone else around them's problem right because they don't take responsibility for it um but i i say all that to kind of come around about in a way like that's a big part of why i never got into drugs and alcohol i've never been a drinker i've never been a recreational drug user and not that i have any problem with it but i think the primary reason i stayed away from it is because as a kid I looked around and everyone yeah. in my family battled addiction in some way, shape or form, whether they did it before I was born or they were going through it while I was a kid. And I was just like, man, this is a one way street to fucking nowhere. 
Like the, not a single person in my life has achieved a life that's similar to what I want to go do. And so obviously that can't be a part of it. And so to me, it's like, it's, I've always looked at things from a very raw cause and effect um, perspective. And okay, well, none of these people have gone on to do great things. The drug use is probably part of that. That's probably part of the cause. It's so seeing a pattern I, and then recognizing it yeah. and trying to stay away from it. I mean, that's a good way to look at life. I mean, that's what Adam does. That's what I try to do. I, yeah. So it's like, I was like, okay, I don't want to be a roofer and I don't want to work for the government. So I better not fuck with that shit. And that was it. It was a simple choice. And I'm not saying I've always made the right ones, right? Like I no, my making the wrong is, choices is how you learn. I yeah, mean, like, and, yeah, and and you know most of most of the bad choices I've made in my life are a byproduct of my temper and my stubbornness, um, which are two things that I deal with, right? But again, it's like a real real healing and real treatment it should be in you understanding yourself and being able to diagnose, like, oh yeah, this is why I did that. Oh yeah, this is why I made that mistake. Or this is what drove me to make that decision. And this is now what I know is wrong about that decision. So, you know, we put all this, um, we put all this emphasis on how people feel and we put absolutely no stock or, or training or work into people troubleshooting themselves, which is really what people need to do. And, it, and, and in order to do that, it takes a lot of fucking honesty, um, yeah. you know, in your life. And I'll give you a great example. So like, when I was a younger comedian, when people would ask me why I would I didn't drink, I would white lie my way around it. So if they just assumed I had a problem with addiction, I would go, yeah, yeah, go ahead and believe that. Or if they were like, but ninety percent of people believe if you if you don't drink or you don't do drugs, it's because you did at one point and something bad happened. And so I would just always be vague and let them believe that because the problem is. If you tell people you just don't because it's a personal choice, then they internalize that and they go, well, oh, so you think you're better than me? Oh, so you think, you think you're better I than me? It? Yeah. 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 Because I do it. I'm a piece of shit. Oh, you think I do it because I got a problem? Like that. And then it's impossible to make friends because now you're dealing with the things that they internalize about your personal choice. Right. And then mm -hmm. I turned 30 and I said, I don't give a fuck about that anymore. And so I would go on podcasts and I tell this real story, which I just told you about, like why I don't drink, why I don't do drugs. And if people, if that wasn't good enough for people, they could go fuck themselves. Right. And so it took me Mike until Sultan, I was 30. To me and I, I have plenty of friends who don't drink. And, uh, you know, I come from a family who does it. I don't care. It's like, you know, they're like, it doesn't bother me if you drink around me. It's like, uh, okay, well, right. you know, either way, it's fine. Right. I mean, and I not drink when we hang out or, or do it. Like, be but, respectful of one another. <laughs> but think about yeah. the objective of misleading yeah. people in that way. So, like, I wasn't misleading them for any reason other than I didn't want them to be uncomfortable with themselves because yeah. I didn't drink. And it's like, so I'm letting you believe something about be me reasonable. that isn't true yeah. be, for your own fucking comfort and benefit. And then when you find out the truth, you turn around and call me a liar. Like, okay, so let's not do this anymore. How about fuck how you feel? How about fuck how anybody feels? I'm just going to tell you who I am and why I am the way that I am. And if you've got a problem with that, or that bothers you, we don't have to be friends. And, but it took me a, a, a decent amount of time in life to get to that point of, of self-comfort or being cool with with who i am or so i guess what's the word i'm looking for like so fortified in my choices and why i made them 
to where I could just tell people like if that if if the reality of that is too, if you're too fragile to deal with the reality of why I why I've decided to be who I am, maybe we don't need to be interacting with each other. And so I don't think a lot of people ever get to that point because they're they're so bogged down in this idea that like maybe I have a mental illness, maybe I have depression, maybe I have anxiety, maybe I have something that's not diagnosed, maybe I should go get looked at, maybe I should talk to a therapist. And all of these people's jobs are based on treating you, not curing you. No. Like the government doesn't hand a therapist a million dollar check every time somebody doesn't need therapy anymore. Maybe if they did that, you'd be amazed how quickly people were given a clean bill of mental health. Yeah, and I think you hit the nail on the head with the term troubleshooting, because that's simply what it is, is taking the time to troubleshoot. But most of these people, they can't even troubleshoot their fucking laptop by turning it on and off. So, of course, <laughs> they don't know how to, uh, or I assume, but based on the, that idiotic question that's asked every time you call about something. But, but it's one of those where it's like they don't sit there and internalize anything. It's all externalized. Yes. It's all like... You know, because sometimes when you're like, I really have a pattern of being around people like this. Like, what is that about? Oh, because they remind you of your dad. They remind you of your brother. And it's thinking about those things and being cognizant of it or whatever. It's like, you know, you chose not to drink because you saw your family members. And that makes total sense. It's like that tracks. Oh, oh my God. I have so many friends that are like that. It's like, yeah, they don't drink because their mother was an alcoholic. That's perfectly rational. And why does that have anything to do with me? I don't get it. Like maybe if they were saying, hey, you shouldn't drink, that might be an issue. But typically people do not do that. It's like people like Tim Tebow is the prime example of everybody's like he's shoving his religion down his throat. I never once heard Tim Tebow do that at all. It was all perception. And it's just like, look, I feel bad for the guy. All he wants to do is be in the NFL and he's just not good enough. He's really like, and if he was not a Christian and if he wasn't a virgin until he was married and this good guy who doesn't even cuss, everybody would be on his side. He'd be like Rudy, but because he's better than you. And yes, he is, in your guys, mind, he by is the way, better than you. He's better like, than yeah. you in your mind, not his, yeah. which is the crazy exactly. thing. It's like, but that's the thing is like the things that we do to cater to other people's insecurities. And I, and I decided at like 30 that I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, and, and you know, that is that you want to talk about like, what's the most harmful thing that we do to each other for, as from person to person every day is cater to each other's insecurities. Maybe, maybe, and to me, like a good friend helps you troubleshoot those insecurities and helps yeah. you point those things out. I have a, I have a real bad, um, track record in my life of like, particularly with men, not particularly with women. Uh, the women friends I've had in my life generally stay around a lot longer than men. And I think it's because they they appreciate the troubleshooting aspect of the way my brain works more than men do, because women are always trying to troubleshoot and fix problems. And men are always trying to uh, redirect and they're always trying to, uh, you know, push I've off that there's a problem. I feel like it works with the opposite sex because I have the opposite problem, except for like a handful of female friends that do kind of look to you for advice, but it does come from a competitive nature within your own sex, especially in the entertainment industry. So that's yeah. why that probably is. It's like, they feel like they're competing with you. So they can't really open up to you and acknowledge like, you know, the troubleshooting and, and, and a lot of people do externalize uh, with the, the same sex and, and are used to being validated 
So maybe that's but, a lot yeah. of it. Yeah. 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 I, I think, you're, I think you're right because you'd basically describe what happens with me and a lot of men is like, I think in the beginning men are like, Oh, that guy's kind of more how I want to be. Like he's just comfortable in his own skin or everything else. And then over time, the competition aspect sneaks in where they go like, well, wait a minute. If other people view this person as superior to me in any way, that's a problem for me. And I can't have, mm -hmm. I can't have people that someone that people think are better than me in my orbit. Whereas my philosophy has always been, and, and maybe this came from us racing cars when I was a kid. My dad had a, a open wheel sprint car and my bro older brother, Craig, not the one who passed away, different brother, different uh, moms. Very so Irish dad. family, huh? Very Irish. <laughs> yeah, yes. lots of kids. Uh, no, yeah, very, yeah, yeah, all kids from all different yeah. co combinations of people. Um, the, the brother, the brother who I look the most like I never met. And it's just because our moms, uh, you know, look identical. But uh, his mom was never married to my dad. And uh, he was raised to believe a different man was his father his whole life, uh, even though like he and I look like identical twins and we're only a year apart. So the funny that's the funny weird ancestry.com bit, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. My dad clearly like, had yeah. a type in the early yeah. 80s, which was, you know, ginger woman. But anyway, um, he went through a redhead thing and there's a couple he has a couple of sons from it. But my point is. Um, oftentimes it gets to a, 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 my friendship with certain men who are, are insecure gets to a precipice where they're just like, well, why are you comfortable with yourself? What do you think you're better than me? Fuck you. You know what I mean? And so, <laughs> yeah, that's how women get, this... get with me. A lot of times it's like, yeah. yeah. And it's just, yeah. like, and then they want to point out everything that they think is wrong yeah. with you. And you just go like, yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Like, you know I what I mean? So, I, I, and I, and I truly <laughs> believe this, like 90% of the people that, that say they don't like me, don't like me because I remind them of the things that they don't like in themselves, whether I yeah. do, whether I do those things or I am th those things, or I'm not those things. Regardless, um, every guy that doesn't like me doesn't like me because of what I represent. They either think I'm more confident than I should be. They think I'm more comfortable with myself than I should be. And really what they're saying is I'm not as comfortable with myself as he is. So fuck him. You know what I mean? And, and or anybody who's that comfortable with themselves or confident with themselves is lying about something or or misleading or or being dishonest or manipulative. So that I can't trust that. And it's like, no, no, I just I wake up every day and realize that there will never be an opportunity for me to wake up and be somebody else. And yeah, so that I I'm, just, me. Uh, I'm me. I'm yeah. me. And I'm going to have to be as comfortable with me as I can be. Oh, and, and if there are things about me that I wake up and don't like every day, it's up to me to change it. Right. So uh, it's it's a real uh, I've heard this phrase used by people before, but it's radical acceptance. And I think the key to really being a mentally strong or mentally healthy person is just getting to a place of radical acceptance. My life is the way it is because of my choices and only because of my choices. And if I want that to improve, I have to make different choices, which probably involves applying myself more, working harder, and in a lot of ways, working smarter. My, if you asked any of my bosses or mentors in my life, what is the biggest flaw in my personality? And I'll tell you this, I always think there's a way to work smarter to avoid working harder. And oh yeah, that, same. And that is probably the worst thing about my personality is, I'll, I'll troubleshoot something sometimes for so long that if I would have just rolled up my fucking sleeves and dove in, it would have been done anyway. Would it have been done the best way or the most efficient way or the most intelligently uh, impressive way? Maybe not. But sometimes getting it done now 
is more important than doing it perfectly. And, and that is, that's the thing I hate the most about myself. And I will tell you, anyone that's close to me in my life will tell you that's the thing they hate the most too, is that I let being perfect or doing something perfectly be the enemy of doing it well. And if I just worked really fucking hard at doing a lot of things well, instead of trying to perfect them, I would probably be further in my life. Yeah, and that's the thing is my little brother, who's strangely insightful to be who he is. How old had is he? Said, uh, he is 30. Oh, okay. He always laughs when people are like, I, dude, I thought you were just, he gets carded and he looks very young, but he's like, I'm a 30 year old man, actually. Um, but he's very, <laughs> he's very funny because he's like, sometimes knowing your weakness is your strength. And uh, he's very self-aware to be at 25 on the narcissism scale. It's, it's very funny. But yeah, it, it really is that. It's like, I know that my biggest weakness is I am a woman of leisure and I kind of love it. Like I'm very lazy. I'm very easy to get in. But that's why I force myself to get up at 6.30 every morning and walk. The, like I have to train myself to get out of that, to get the fuck up. I mean, am I still wearing monster pajama pants? Yes, I am. But I'm doing something right now. And I've been doing stuff all day, forcing myself to do stuff because I know my favorite thing to do is sit on the couch, watch South Park, and smoke some pot. But you know what? You can't do that and be successful. All the yeah, time. that's not a yeah. that's not a profession. <laughs> yeah. No. And by the way, like it's I'm so close fun. enough as a comedian. It, yeah, yeah, and it's so <laughs> funny because, like, you know, that's what I think is hilarious. Is like, you know, people that are like, "Oh, you don't smoke weed, so you must not mm -hmm. live the same way I do." It's like, no, I don't need the yeah. weed. Yeah. I'll order a fucking pizza. I'm jealous. It's much I'll order cheaper. a pizza and sit on the couch with you while you smoke yeah. weed and watch South Park for hours. I don't even have the excuse that I'm high. It's just I'm I'm just being lazy and unproductive. I don't even need the drugs to be lazy and unproductive. Yeah, you know, and the thing about weed is it just enhances who you are. But sometimes there are plenty of people I've known that it's like, yeah, nope, they're pretty well McConaughey without it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can literally. All lose right, my all right, all right. And I'm just a lot of money on pot and alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I literally can lose my train of thought mid sentence, and I've never been a pot smoker my entire life. I'll be talking, I'll be like talking to the girlfriend, and I'll be like, what the fuck? In the middle of a sentence, I'll stop talking, and then I'll be like, what the fuck were we just talking about? Like, I have no. <laughs> I, so I, it, I will just literally like run off a cliff mentally and just completely lose track of what we're in the middle of discussing because something else will just pop up in my head and and then occupy my brain power and then i completely get derailed from whatever we were discussing so in a weird way like podcasting is um is one of the best ways for me to focus my thoughts because i'm zo i'm zoned in here at the screen there's nothing else distracting me i've got a ring light in my face so it's like uh, in a way, it, it helps keep me focused on what we're discussing and what we're talking about. But there are still moments in my podcast, I'm sure you can find, where I'll I'll just run off that cliff and be like, what what were we even talking about? Yeah, were we? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, but those are sometimes the fun moments, though, because it's that, that minute of like, you were so into what you were saying that you for completely forgot what you were saying. <laughs> Or, or yeah. maybe sometimes yeah. you're so, or maybe so you're so busy, like listening to yourself and being impressed with like, wow, that actually came out of my mouth really well. <laughs> and then you completely forget to continue. 
You know, like I, that probably does uh, happen. I, I will oh, yeah, tell that's you, me. I get very impressed with myself. There, oh, there yeah, are plenty of times where I'll tweet something and I'll be like, that was fucking gold. Like, and yeah, do the pretend totally. swish. Like, right. oh, yeah, swish. Yeah, where you're just like, oh, the yeah. word choice. Like, I get really horny yeah. for like the perfect sentence or the perfect word choice. Yeah. That really is like the slam dunk of the idea. So that's that why is, I like Jeselnik. It's like he yeah. he's pleased with himself. Like like I could dig that. Like <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. And I and I definitely that's probably not always an attractive yeah. trait, but I definitely yeah. I can tell you that w when I feel like I've done the same thing, I'm very pleased with myself. Too. Like, Ooh, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't have said that better. You know, and and in a way, I think that's I I would say my Twitter usage is far more narcissistic in nature than my stand-up comedy because i will tell you i absolutely look for the validation of my ideas more in twitter than i do in stand-up for sure because there it's almost like the twitter ideas are more raw and the idea that i could get one out in such infancy without practice or rehearsal or thinking it through and uh and, and then get people to like it means like oh yeah like i really like that thought in its rawest form is something that people really agree with. And so I'm on the right track. And so in a way it's like, it, uh, I, Twitter is like fishing for, for premises. And so when I put out something that people really respond to, I am really pleased with it. Cause I go, Oh yeah, no, I'm on the right track. And so if I, if I develop a bit around this or some kind of piece of material around this, then I'm on, you know, people will like it. I'm on the right track and I've, I've, I've struck a chord. And so I think I'm way more, that's probably way more unhealthy for me than my relationship with standup is, is my relationship with Twitter specifically. Yeah. I'm what you would consider a Twitter comedian because like, that's really, you know, most of what I do, I guess, but I'll get more frustrated where I'm like, people like just some stupid thing I said, instead of this well-crafted joke, like that's my ego is definitely my weakness because yeah. I very fancy myself like uh, a humorist and Oh, like, you know, I'm, I'm witty and I come up with these things, but that doesn't offer and go very well on Twitter because I'll get pissed because, it's like this brilliant thing gets barely anything and then just some dumb musing gets like all of this and i'm like that's because they're all fucking sheeple yeah <laughs> no, I'm, I'm certainly i'm sure yeah. i've done that too i'm sure yeah. i've been there before too where i'm like but usually usually the things that i think are the most interesting or brilliant are because there's like some very obscure reference to something in yeah. there and so i've had to kind of learn that like the things that i think are the most brilliant and funny uh, are really for such a small group of people because it's usually based on some reference to something that no one's going to get, right? And so, you know, like my favorite- Oh, moment... I know. That's my favorite thing is to reference saying, but that one guy who gets it, you're like- Oh, I love that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Ooh. I went uh, out, what, now what's her name? Um, Mae Whitman yeah. announced that she yes, was- I loved it. When she yeah. was not, she was non-binary. I was like racing, like her? Her? And, and it, the funny yeah. thing is I did it on Facebook on BuzzFeed's page and like a thousand people or just under a thousand people liked it and commented. But out of those thousand, um, there was like a, probably two dozen that had no idea that what the oh, reference yeah. was and then thought it was some attempt at being transphobic or, or being anti people that are non-binary. And the, the, the reaching that people go to, to try to find me an asshole in that reference that they didn't get is, is somehow 
earth shattering. Like you look at it and you go like, how can't you just look at a group of people? Like literally there are a thousand people in these comments that are enjoying this and sharing memes back and forth. Because and it's a you, reference to arrested development. Yes. It's nothing and you, to do with that. Yeah. If you don't get the reference. Can't you just admit yeah. that to yourself and go, I just must not get what this is instead of trying to rail against whether or not it's appropriate or funny. Well, I love reply guys because they're the first not to get and reply guys can be girls. Um, guys, uh, I, uh, sorry. Most I've watched my, all the Kevin yeah, Smith movies. Most of my reply guys are, are women who are like over the age of 40. Oh yeah. I mean, and it's across the board for me, men, women, um, cause you know, I'm appealing to both sexes or people that don't identify as either sex, I assume. But, um, you know, it is what it is because they'll, they'll even respond. I don't understand this. And it's like, so then why do you admit to being stupid? I mean, I much prefer <laughs> that, that you are at least admitting it. Like, I don't get this. Okay. But like, kudos to you for having the balls to admit that as opposed to all the people that would just get, you know, angry right. if they don't get it. Because, I mean... I've had people get upset with the, you know, when I'm referred to as having a black name, it's like, I'm sorry, how do you think I got that idea? All of my friends were black growing up and pointed that out and thought it was hilarious. Like, yeah. oh my God, we could go, like, I've had friends with like very white names as they put it. And they're like, oh, it'll be hilarious. Cause they're going to give me your card when we go out to eat. Like, and we'll laugh because they do it every time. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. So, yeah. And and by the way, like, like, are we supposed to pretend that that's not really the case that your name yeah. is really not a black name? Because oh, it even is. referencing that something <laughs> yeah, no. black, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, that's hilarious. And, yeah. and, and people should be able to laugh at that. It's the first, I, listen, it's the first thing I thought when you and I became friends online, I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. this, this white bitch got a black name. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I have one of the blackest names. I mean, because my first name is black enough, but then the last name, especially when Empire came out, it's yeah. like, oh boy. Like people are like, are you like uh, Lucius Lyons, illegitimate kid? I'm like, yep. You know, yeah. he, he and, bags some white ladies. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And also just like, uh, <laughs> what's the, what's the word I was thinking of? Oh no, no. I'm sure a lot of people thought it was just some fake made up name. Oh yeah. I get asked, well, what's your real name? It's like, this is what's on my birth certificate. Like, do you think I made this up? Like, why would I choose this life? Like yeah. I'm not Rachel Dolenzal. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I was, it's just like, when you see a white girl with that name, you're like, oh, she definitely does interracial porn. So why if would you choose? So more why money. would you choose? Yeah. yeah, why would you choose yeah. that for yourself if you're not <laughs> yeah. interracial born? Yeah, and that's literally what I say to people when they're like, um, you know, "What's your real name?" You had to have made that up. It's like, why would I choose this? I mean, yeah. I'm named after a serial killer. Um, it wasn't intentionally made to be black. It only became black later on when when never when they started capitalizing the C on my birthday cakes, and everyone would laugh. <laughs> <laughs> like. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, but you know, it is what it is. You know, it's a struggle uh, having a black name in this country. That's yeah. It's yeah. Well, imagine having a black face. Probably even harder. <laughs> yeah, with this hair. <laughs> right. Well, if you had a black face with that hair, you'd just be Beyonce. So. Oh yeah, that's true. Then life would be better. <laughs> I mean, she's I love, a fellow Texan. I love that yeah. Beyonce. I love that Beyonce is like the symbol of what it means to be black, and she hasn't had black hair in twenty-five years. I think that's so funny that so many so many black women are like we need to embrace the culture and i was like could you tell beyonce because she didn't get the memo 
Well, it's like uh, Meghan Markle, Chrissy Teigen, like, you know, it's like, really, these people, the reason they got to where they were was because they pretended they weren't like, (laughs) right. Yeah. But now they use it when it's convenient. And that's, that's really sad and sickening to me. But you know, it is what it is. It's it's the narrative that they're wonderful. Mm -hmm. Too much, too much. And I'm like, that would get me down a whole nother rabbit hole. But as we wrap up here, Mr. Denny, where can they find you on social media if they want to keep up this conversation? Uh, they can go find me uh, at Josh Denny on Twitter, Josh Denny official on Facebook. You can find all my links at joshdennycomedy.com. I have a show on censored.tv uh, um, called Next Week Tonight. The second half of season one of that premieres this Friday. And then uh, I just launched a new podcast called Jankum. Uh, which is uh, available everywhere podcasts are played and new episodes of Jankum. If, if people don't know what Jankum is, it was this, uh, <laughs> this internet. It was a, speaking of somebody who doesn't do drugs. It was this internet <laughs> like uh, this fake uh, drug that people floated this idea that people were huffing human shit um, to get high <laughs> about like 10 years ago. And um, and the the media bought it so much that news stories started running it like it was a real problem and a real epidemic in America that teenage kids were huffing their own fermented shit to get high. And but the funny thing is, is now they do, because what is TikTok? You know, what is social media? So I I mean, South Park did it with cat piss was like, yeah, yeah, what's their commentary on that? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it's like to me, you know, we it, it started as a joke and now it's very much what we do on a day-to-day basis so uh it comes out on the shittiest day of the week on mondays you can check out episodes of uh, the jenkin podcast uh subscribe anywhere podcasts are and then there's a bonus show over on my locals page which is kind of like patreon where we do um a bonus talking shit portion so we talk we talk all the hot gossip and uh do fun q a's with uh, my guests and yeah it's a it's a cool little world it's a cool little I, this is probably the first time in my career that I have like two projects that I really, I love and I'm excited to do them. Like the thing I hated about podcasting for so long is it was like, I'm not psyched to do this every time I do it. Yeah. And now, I, I get it. And now for the first time, I actually feel like I'm looking forward to, um, you know, having guests on and talking shit and, and whatever, you know, talk, and we talk about shit both like metaphorically and physically, which well, is it's called Jankum. I mean, you get yeah. high on huffing shit. Um, yeah. and that's exactly what you're doing. Right. I get it. I was I, like, yeah, oh, it's two we, jokes in one, man. Yeah. We spit shit. We huff shit. It's, you know, it's the, it's the real American experience. <laughs> I am a real American. Yeah, maybe that should be the theme music. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hulk Hogan, man. But I'm not Hulk Hogan. I'm Lucretia Lyon, guys. You can always find me at L-A-C-R-E-T-I-A-L-Y-O-N anywhere on the internet since there is only one. Catch me outside. How about that? All right. And since I was like enjoying our conversation so much, I just started to push record. We'll do kind of like a little fake intro here. Yeah, uh, no let me play this video and then, cause yeah, I, I like I said, I probably won't release a video, um, but um, we'll see. It's always worth doing.
All right, guys, I'm Lucretia Lyon, as you know, and this will probably be my most raw episode, if you can say that. Um, there, there might be some Hulk Hogan references. I might be referencing the future because this may or may not have been recorded after, but I have a special guest with me, comedian Josh Denny. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing well. How are you? I am pretty good. I mean, you know, being able to foretell the future and everything. But, uh, you know, it is pop psychology. Um, but and that's what a lot of people assume uh, what a psychologist does, because or they go to a psychic thinking it's therapy. Yeah, I really like I really like the intro while I was watching the intro. I was like, oh, am I supposed to be re remembering the Rorschachs and what I see when I look at them? Is this a test? I immediately thought it's it was always a test. a test. And then the yeah. interesting thing is, is I bet this now this is really some like deep psychological shit. I bet more people remember the pop culture references in the opening than they remember what the Rorschachs made them think. Mm. Well, I mean, they probably know Rorschach mostly as the, the Watchmen character <laughs> uh, if they're listening to this podcast or watching it maybe one day. <laughs> the Ro Rorschach has become one of my favorite memes on Twitter when uh, any anytime like I'll float something unpopular or say something unpopular, I'll use the Rorschach. Uh, I'm not trapped in here with you. You're trapped, trapped in here, in with, here me. with me. Yeah. That's, that's always yes. the one that I like to float out. That's one of my favorite well-used uh, or regularly used memes. Yeah, like, you know, Rorschach, the uh, guy, um, Henry or Rorschach, is super hot. Like, of course, that's the last picture in the fun video that you can see on my Instagram um, at Lucretia Lion, guys. That's L-A-C-R-E-T-I-A-O-N anywhere on the internet since there is only one. Yes, I can do that like every time. But yeah, um, that may be the only place you ever see it because uh, this video we all reference. It's like a secret club that only guests of this have been able to hear because it's a relatively new podcast and I've been really lazy about the video stuff, but Isn't, I digress. Rorschach, mm -hmm. Aren't Rorschach tests just sort of an indication of your implicit uh, subconscious, um, what, what occupies your thoughts, right? I didn't go to psychology school, and obviously you could tell because I called it that. <laughs> psychology I, school. Yeah, I didn't like, go to, I, I I didn't went go to, to the, the University of North Academy. Texas where Dr. Phil went, but yeah, like it's a normal school. It's actually most known for jazz, but yeah. <laughs> a lot um, more jazz than, than yeah. Rorschachs, right? Exactly, and it, it, it really is. It's sort of, it's a test to get to see what people are really thinking about because when people are interpreting art, or an ink blot in the Rorschach case, like this is your innermost thoughts. And most people don't really know how to interpret that unless someone puts an ink blot in front of them or a picture. And it's like, you know, every time I look at it, I just see naked pictures of Alexander Skarsgård. But, you know, I guess that's just me. <laughs> I don't know. What did you see? <laughs> well, it's funny because as I look at those, I think like, God, Rorschachs would be so boring in this day and age because how many people would just sit down and look at it and, and, the, and they'd be like, what do you see when you look at this? Me. What do you see when you look at this? Myself. What do you see when you, like, that's all anyone is thinking about anymore. It seems like, you know, we, we live in a time where most of the mental illness that people claim to have is just, you know, this real chronic sort of narcissism that they, uh, they can't stop thinking about themselves or how the world affects them or how they affect the world. And so, 
you know, Rorschach tests to me would probably be, I would probably kill myself if I had to administer them because I would, it would just be a constant reaffirmation that the thing that people are thinking about the most is themselves. Well, this is just good pot. I mean, we're getting to it right off the bat here. That's in the actual name, which has been many complaints over many podcasts I've, I've done over the years. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for being a consummate or professional josh and you know just getting to the subjects right off the bat <laughs> i try to you know i do my best thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube